go, what are you doing here? This is the first we're going to rent a part. But please don't, please don't throw things because um, I am a ghost hunter, but I've never found a ghost because I normally find the rational cause of hauntings. So that's why I, I call myself a ghost hunter because people tend to not understand what a paranormal researcher is. And I call myself a paranormal researcher, and then again, but how can you research for paranormal if it doesn't exist? So I just go for ghost hunter, everyone knows what that means. Um, <laughs> And as Andy said, I've been investigating for about seven years or so now. Um, I didn't start out as um, a skeptic or somebody who investigated in the rational way. Um, I sort of started out as someone who believed in ghosts or really, really wanted to believe in ghosts. And it was when I was 18 that I started and I, um, I used to watch Most Haunted with a vet building, um, which wasn't actually, now looking back, it wasn't that great to watch because it's just <laughs> night vision and it's just them screaming. But for some reason that was really compelling to me. And I really wanted to believe in ghosts. And I grew up in a house where my mum believed in ghosts and read lots of books about ghosts. So it was just something I grew up with and that really piqued my interest. And then one day it was announced that Derek Acora, the psychic medium, had faked a possession and my world was shattered. That was it. <laughs> and I was like, well, how, how can I trust Most Haunted anymore? Well, he's been faking this stuff and they've obviously known that he was doing it because they set him up. It was um, an incident where he got possessed by a spirit called Creed Caper which was a South African jailer. And it turns out the Creed Caper is an anagram of Derek Baker. <laughs> it, it just shattered my world. And so I thought, what can I do? Um, I was going on their word, and I honestly believed in them. I really did. I was really that kind of naive. Um, so I was like, OK, I'll go and do this myself. And so I did. I um, started my own ghost hunting team in Wiltshire, where I live. And we started going out to buildings in the, in the local area looking for ghosts. And how do you do that? Well, first of all, I'll introduce you to some kind of different ghost hunters because, as I said, I'm a ghost hunter, but I'm not your typical ghost hunter. And in fact, a lot of ghost hunters hate me because I'm not like them and I don't believe in ghosts, and yet I call myself a ghost hunter. And this is kind of a typical overview, and it, it's really complicated because it's a term, paranormal researcher, ghost hunter, paranormal investigator, paranormal detective, auditory researcher. They're, they're all kind of unprotected terms. You can call yourself whatever you like to make out you're an expert in the paranormal, um, but it doesn't mean you're like everybody else, you're not representative of everybody else. Um, so starting in, in the top left there, we have like the traditional kind of um, seances of the Victorian era where they would try and communicate with the dead and to try, well, a medium, a psychic medium, um, their, their kind of aim is to provide evidence of survival, um, survival of the spirit or of the human in a uh, kind of ethical form. And um, so these were kind of like your early ghost hunters in a way. But obviously it went, it was happening, that kind of thing was happening way before the Victorian era. But that's when it exploded really. And um, that's, uh, these, these kind of methods, this is table tipping that you're seeing here. Um, basically they're doing, it's kind of like a seance, but they're projecting their energy into the table and asking the spirit to move the table as a sign that it's there. And, um, can't see because I've really cut that quite badly, but the table's floating off the ground. Um, and um, you see these methods today as well. So ghost hunters today also use the, um, the kind of spiritual methods, and you'll see a bit more of that in a moment. Uh, well, you can see it right here, actually. These are ghost hunters on the top, uh, on your right there. Uh, they're doing a seance, so they're joining the hand and asking spirits to, to make communication with them. This is something that I used to do, and I used to do table tipping as well. Um, I've still got my Ouija board at home, my dowels and rocks and stuff because I just don't want to get rid of them because it's very sentimental to me. Um, it's not, they just cost so much, I'm not going to get rid of them. Um, and then down here on the, the bottom left, 
out too much, but she's got a meter in her hand. So, so you would think over time that the way in which ghost hunters work would kind of become more modern um, and more developed. And in a way it has. Um, lots of ghost hunters across the world, and there are thousands of them, by the way, um, a lot of them use um, devices and gadgets to find ghosts or to try and explain away ghosts. But unfortunately, they use pseudoscience um, in their reasoning for that. And um, what this lady here is using is an electromagnetic magnetic field meter. And lots of ghost hunters believe that um, when a ghost is interacting with the environment, whether it's manifesting or when it's moving something or stalking you or whatever they do, um, that they interfere with the naturally occurring electromagnetic fields. Um, and so if you find a fluctuation, then that must be a ghost. Um, it doesn't quite work like that, actually, but, but that's the kind of reason behind that. And also, some ghost hunters believe that um, high levels of EMF in, in an area will make people have experiences that are ghostly, or it makes them feel like they're being watched or touched or things like that. Um, and although there is slight truth in that, it's not quite as simple as waving around EMF meter going, yeah, that's what, what's causing your haunting. Um, and unfortunately, um, there is a, a paranormal television show in America called Ghost Hunters. Um, it used to be quite big, it's kind of sliding now. But um, they were huge proponents of that idea that you, if you got an EMF meter and you found uh, fluctuation, that was probably the cause. So although they were kind of looking for the rational, they're actually doing it wrong because it's not rational. Um, and then we have on the, the bottom right there um, what I like to call the paranormal detectives. These people who, who tend to believe in, um, in ghosts and similar, and uh, they, often they think they're psychic, um, they can communicate with spirits, um, and they will use that to go out and solve um, cold cases and missing children. So you hear about psychics who, um, who get involved in uh, missing people cases anyway. Um, often they use dowsing rods over maps to try and find somebody. Uh, this particular one I'll talk about later on because I think it's, it's quite horrific and a lot of people don't realise it's happening right here in the UK, it's really sad. Um, and so I don't really fit into any of that but I used to fit into these three. So I've got this big silver flight case at home, usually used by DJs to carry around their discs and stuff. Uh, but mine's just full of gadgets that I used to use to find ghosts. Um, and so, although, like I said, people do use technology, people largely still use the spiritual methods. But also, in a weird twist, they also use the technological methods in a spiritual way. So when they can't find a fluctuation in the EMF, or they, they can't find like cold spots and things like that using thermometers, they'll put the EMF meter down on the table and they'll ask the ghost, can you make the meter go up? So it, it almost becomes a Ouija board in itself. You've still got people doing the wish boards and still doing the table tipping where they're trying to get the table to move, but then you've also got them using the meters and stuff, to try, uh, replacing the table almost, or replacing the wish board. Um, now, normally when I do these talks, uh, how many people know what table tipping looks like? Has anybody ever done table tipping? A few of you. Um, does anybody know what glass divination is? Uh, oh, you do. Wow. Cool. Uh, I'm not the only weird one. Um, no offence. Um, I can talk on zombies. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no comment. I'm talking about ghosts. Um, does anybody know what a Ouija board is? Yeah, most people know what Ouija boards are. They're the, the evil ones that will suck your soul through to hell and things. Um, what glass divination is very similar to a Ouija board. Basically, you just take it up, to, you take a glass, and everyone, well, not one drinking, you turn it upside down, and then you put your fingers on, on the glass. And it's basically like a Ouija board without the glass. Um, and table tipping, 
looks like this. And what you're about to see, and hopefully hear, fingers crossed, um, that was really unskeptical, fingers crossed, if you're honest. You're going to see a typical uh, glass divination session. So I, I did say table city, but it's not this glass divination. Um, and this isn't me kind of cherry picking a really weird, bad video. This is, if you go onto YouTube and you type in glass divination, this is one of the first ones that comes up. I'm just going to play that. I hope it's not too loud. This is Spirit here. Can you tell us if you're a man? Are you a man? So if the glass goes to the right, that's no, not a man. If the glass goes to the left, that's yes. So I'm going to ask the obvious question now. Are you a female? Are you a woman? I hope it goes to no. <laughs> who lived here. Um, and also 
I spoke to table topping, sorry, I thought that I forgot this was glass divination, not table topping. Basically, they just put their hands on the table on the top and the table rocks backwards and forwards. Um, and again, it's very, very similar. You've got your hands flat on the table uh, and it's so easy to make a table move. And, you know, tables aren't always, um, they're not always, um, they don't balance well. And um, the old rickety ones in pubs are really, really good uh, if you want to try and get them going. Um, and it's a similar thing again um, when people question how can't be spirit because it feels like a spirit. How else would you move a, a table? I get people to put um, like tracing paper or um, cooking paper, the greaseproof paper on top of the table, and put their hands on top of that. And when they do that, it, it's the um, the paper that moves and, and not the table. And it's kind of eye opening because when you watch this, you think, oh, it's obviously them, but they're just not probably not aware of it. Whereas if you watch most haunted and you watch a bit building, I'm saying nothing. Um, and so these are spiritual kind of communic communicative methods that people use to talk to ghosts. Obviously, people also use mediums to talk to them directly. I've dealt with a few mediums before. Um, in fact, I had to, there was an incident um, in a haunted pub where the medium uh, supposedly got taken over by a ghost. The ghost went inside them and was speaking through them. And <laughs> she was just screaming and screaming as though she was the ghost. And then we could shut her up by slapping her. Um, I took no pleasure from that aspect. <laughs> um, but then there are also physical things that people look out for when they're hunting for ghosts. Um, and I'm going to show you the four signs of spirit manifestation. Now this first one, um, these are called orbs. You can see the globules of light, uh, the white balls. These are called orbs and these are the first signs of spirit manifestation. Um, anybody know what they might be caused by? Dust. Pretty much dust. But any airborne particle, um, basically, between the lens of your camera and the thing you're taking the photo of, or the thing that your, your camera is focusing on. So like when you've got your iPhone and you touch the screen, um, basically, between those two. And if you've got the flash on, uh, these are what the particles look like. And they're round, uh, mainly because they're out of focus, um, because they're between the, the lens and what it's focusing on. They appear round, so they're not always round. I mean, you look at dust particles, if you get a torch and pull it in the air, you look, there's hardly ever round dust particles, but that's what they appear like. And this could also be caused by hairs and things in front of lenses. Um, the second sign of spirit manifestation, and actually interestingly with orbs, <laughs> with orbs, people do believe that, um, or some people do believe that the color of the orb can indicate the spirit that you're dealing with. So if it's a red orb, it's an angry spirit. It's a bit like moon rings, and, you know, <laughs> like that, um, but people generally do, do believe that. Um, this second sign, no idea what that could be. Uh, this is the spirit vortex. Sorry? Is it a pair of No, uh, that could be something that causes it, but um, it's actually a camera strap in this one. Oh, um, yeah. And, but yeah, glasses is one that can cause it, just like, and also the glare off the edge of the glasses can make like a glaring effect. Um, and also just fingers in front of the lens or a hair. Um, when pubs used to allow smoking, quite often you get cigarette smoking in um, photos taken and things like that. Um, I've also seen a, a, a vortex faked using a mobile phone charger wire. They didn't realise, well, I say fake, they didn't realise it was in, in the shop. And they were charging their phone and picked it up. And the third sign, ooh, this one looks most like a ghost, um, of a camel. You see the camel? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
the smoking ban, you would get this quite a lot with photographs. And you'd be like, what was it? And, and then, yeah, you kind of, kind of worked it out when they stopped doing smoking in pubs. You never got mists. Very, very strange. Um, and then, of course, we're talking um, foresight, this manifestation, the one that everybody wants to capture. For those who can't see it, the ghost is there. It's not a real one, by the way. This is manipulated. Um, but, yeah, so... These are the four stages that people often believe that ghosts go through. So when you're asking a ghost to manifest, it will start as orbs, you get a little bit excited, then you might get a vortex or something like that, and you're like, ooh, it's getting really strong. Then you get the mist, and you're like, oh my god, come on, you can do this, and then nothing. Um, very rarely do you catch an actual ghost, for some strange reason. Um, and it's weird, you think these, these kind of ideas are outdated because these go back decades. <coughs> these are like really, these are things that my mum was reading about when she was younger. Um, and interestingly, uh, orbs also used to be caught on um, film cameras and they would also be called back then by um, developing people on the film. Uh, but obviously, we don't have that problem now, yet they still appear. Um, but if you go to a cannon or anybody like that, they'll all tell you they're called circles of confusion, which are basically the out of focus. Um, so you would think that people would kind of move on and realise that these things have rational causes and you think people would be able to step back and understand that, but they don't because they're so desperate to find ghosts. Um, in fact, so desperate, um, I'm going to show you some footage. Um, this is from 2012, the end of last year. And uh, this made the, the, news like, uh, the newspapers and headlines all around the world um, as ghost um, evidence, evidence of ghosts. And so I hope none of you are weak disposition, um, but this is recent ghost proof. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's undisputably. <laughs> this basically was a family in Nottingham um, had been having vandalism in their front garden. <laughs> And they set the CCTV up watching their cars and they caught this ghost. So this is like, you know, this is 2012, this is modern day. These are the things that people are accepting as ghosts. Pieces of dust, the camera strap, and bugs. That was a bug, if anybody didn't realise it, a bug. Um, and that made national headlines. International headlines, actually. Um, has anybody seen this ghost photo before? No. This is one that um, I managed to debunk, so I'm going to kind of give you an insight, a quick insight to what I do and how I research ghosts. Um, I don't go for the insects and stuff like that. Um, this photo, the ghost, by the way, is in this frame here, the second frame in the middle. Um, <coughs> there. Not, not that. That looks too packed. No, that's the ghost here. Um, this made the headlines in early 2012. This is taken off Clevedon here. Um, uh, near Bristol, and um, it was taken by a photography student from the shore looking out at the pier, and <coughs> went to the newspapers with it because he didn't know what it was. That one minute there was like there, there's 30 seconds between each frame, and so he took one, then he took the second, and he took the third. And when he looked back, he realised he caught a figure that wasn't in the one following, and he was a bit confused about it. At the same time, what he didn't realise was that the people on Cleveland Pier believed they were haunted because and. and they, were, they, they thought they were haunted because they often smelt toast in the gift shop when there was no toast. Um, <laughs> seriously. And, and they also, they, they start seeing weird things and feeling a bit on edge 
and stuff. Um, so this ghost story started to build up. As soon as this photo was taken, it's like, oh my god, we've actually got a ghost here. And all the local ghost hunters are going in with their um, devices and things, and people were having experiences. And scarily, actually, the, the peer mistress was allowing ghost hunters onto her pier at night when there's no, there are no lights, and they weren't being given any like safety equipment. Um, so they had just been swept over the side and, and killed, basically. So um, that was quite concerning. Um, so I tried, uh, I didn't hide the clothes, not really close, but some clothes, um, so close that it kept showing up in the local newspapers and it was starting to bug me a little bit. Uh, I tend to try and ignore things like this because they just wind me up so much. Um, but this one just wouldn't die, <laughs> wouldn't die. Um, and so I tried to get in contact with the peer to try and go and do an investigation into this. And um, she was like, oh, you have to wait until, this was in February, she was like, you have to wait until the end of May because we've got ghost hunting teams coming in all the way up. And I was like, well, I don't want to do a ghost hunt, I just want to come and have a look around. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I'm, I'm a skeptic, I don't believe in ghosts, I don't want to come and find the ghosts, I want to see if I can rationalise it. She's like, oh, well, you have to phone back, I'm busy. And that was it, I just could not get through to them after that. Um, so I decided to go undercover. And by that, by that I mean I paid to come here as a visitor. Um, but before that, I had had a look around online to see what I could find. Um, I came across the Sea Angling Club that used Cleveland Pier. They have uh, a sea angling club, a sea fishing kind of club. Um, and I went on their forums, and on there they were mentioning the ghost because. It turns out, um, and when this photo was taken, the peer mistress was in the newspaper saying, oh, we're closed from like, uh, t uh, like 6 p.m. until 9 a.m. So there's, nobody has access to the pier. Turns out that the sea fishermen have access 24-7. Um, and in fact, one of them, a guy called Victor's, was on the forum going, that's me. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was like, and, and this is just a, a bigger version of it. And I was, I was like, oh my God, he thinks that's him. So I joined up the sea fishing forum. <laughs> and, um, and so I started messaging people, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's Vic. He was just uh, checking his car on shore. It's a brand new Mercedes. He's like, I've got a brand new Mercedes. I was just checking it uh, to make sure it was safe. Um, and I was like, so you, you're definitely sure it's you? Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And then when I went to the actual pier, um, I started kind of sleeping around a bit, and I spoke to some of the volunteers, and they're like, oh, you need to speak to the fishermen. Speak to the fishermen. They'll know everything. So I was like, oh, God, this is going to be really awkward. So I went up to the fishermen, and I was like, Hi, I'd like to talk to you about ghosts. And it, I was actually talking to the guy, to Victor. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, that's me in, in, in the picture. Here's my coat. And he had he picked the coat up, and you can kind of see like the red bit and the black bit, and he's got his hat on. And he had the, you can kind of, that's him in the picture, but um, he's got, had a blue hat on and everything. And he was like, Yeah, that's me. And I told Linda, the peer mistress, um, but she just wasn't interested. And I was like, Oh, right, okay, I wonder why. And so then I went and had a cup of tea in the pavilion. Uh, that building, whoops, ignore that, um, in the building in the back of the, um, the photo, and the girl that was volunteering in there, she was like, oh, so are you doing a ghost hunt here at some point? I was like, um, considering it, she was like, yeah, she was like, it's 30 pounds, quite a bit to charge people. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, and this is a problem that, that does exist, is that um, venues can make a lot of money out of being haunted. In fact, I think there's somewhere near me um, in Salisbury, they charge a thousand pounds a night. Um, so that's quite profitable. Um, so that, that's how I operate. So I don't look for the orbs, I don't look for the mist. I see a few eyebrows and I'm like, I could make money from my house. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I have to keep my um, So then I wanted to talk about, because you know, it seems all very silly 
wrong out of some people thinking that bits of dust are a ghost. And actually, a lot could go wrong because nobody just believes in ghosts. And by that, I mean, ghost is, is an irrational thing. It's an irrational thing to believe in. But actually, it kind of spirals out into all sorts of other belief systems and, and ideas. And just as an example, I'll give, I'll give you some indications into other things that I used to believe. Um, so, I've um, I used to believe in um, chakras, so opening my chakras up would make me psychic. And I used to believe in UFOs, and well, I used to believe there were visitors from other planets. And, and I used to believe in fairies, I used to believe in psychic healing, and, and all sorts of things like that. Um, so it kind of spirals out, so you don't just believe in ghosts. And actually, when I used to believe in psychic healing, um, I was quite ill at the time. I had a life-threatening condition um, in my ear, and I had a lot of friends who were into ghost hunting, and a lot of them were like, oh, you should try this concoction, you should try homeopathy, I can put my hands and appeal. And luckily I didn't go for it, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who have been in a similar situation who have. Um, and so I do have some examples of the harm um, that ghost hunters can do. Um, I don't have example, what I don't have a slide of is in the US um, last year, somebody died um, whilst out ghost hunting and they were in an abandoned building. Um, and they wanted to get from one building to another. They couldn't get in through the doors because it was all locked up, so they tried to jump from the roof over to the other roof, and they fell to their death. Um, in years previous to that, two people had been shot dead in the US whilst ghost hunting because they trespassed on um, private property. And actually, we had a case in the UK um, in late 2011 where three teenagers, I think they were 14 or 15 um, in age, they were looking for ghosts near an old um, insane asylum and they were trespassing and the local police drove by and scared them and they ran and they, what they didn't realise was they were running right off the cliff. Um, they survived, but um, they fell off the cliff. So that, that wasn't good. Um, and trespassing is a problem. Um, in fact, there was a petition um, in 2010 by some ghost hunters to get the Queen to make, um, is it National Heritage? Uh, the charity to let ghost hunters have free access to all their sites. Um, that would have been good. No, it wouldn't. Um, and also, um, in Australia, I've got some online friends who, who are sceptical kind of ghost hunters in Australia. Um, they had a problem where um, local ghost hunters were doing um, overnight ghost hunts in one of the graveyards, uh, like a big kind of stately graveyard, and they were, they were kind of vandalising the place. And, and it's, it's just not great. Um, people kind of go to all these extremes to do ghost hunting. Has anybody seen this photo before? Lucky, lucky people. Um, shaking my head. This ghost, uh, and it's not very easy to make out because it's a, um, an iPhone. Uh, the ghost is there, just in case you can't work it out. Um, and this ghost is called Johnny Jr. And um, there's something wrong with that name, Johnny Jr. It might be Johnny Jr. in the room. Um, this ghost is from Cheltenham. And the owner has taken a picture of the cat there. People can't see the cat when I'm putting it out, so that's the cat. And uh, he got this photo, uh, this on his photo. He's a little bit freaked out, so he spoke to his neighbour about it, and she was like, oh, that's really weird, because uh, the people that lived there before you, they had a baby that died in a cot there, so maybe that's what that is. And he's like, oh my god, I think I've got a ghost, my house is haunted, uh, the cats keep scratching at the walls, so maybe that's what it is. Like, yes, cats don't do that. 
Um, so he went to the newspaper, which a lot of people actually do. If you look historically through hauntings, like the Enfield Podcast case, for example, a very, very famous podcast case, they didn't know what was going on, so they went to the newspaper, because sometimes that's the only thing people know to do when they're genuinely scared of things that are happening. So he went to the newspaper, the newspaper reported this, and I got to work one morning, and it's on my desk. Um, so I don't do ghost hunting as a job. Um, I work in the arts, but whenever something like this hits newspapers, it's on my desk. My colleagues just like collect it, and they're like, "I thought you might like that." I'm like, no, actually, don't. Um, so this this hit the um, hit the newspapers, and it actually went international as well, which actually really is quite easy online nowadays. But uh, this went international, and people were talking about it, and I was like, "Well, I know exactly what that is," um, and I recreated it with my dog. So that's my dog. Um, and that's the same ghost, that's Johnny Jr. But it's not that Johnny Jr. came to my house, it's that the ghost is made using an iPhone app. Um, there's an app that you can download where you can add fake ghosts into pictures. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what, I, I'm such like a ghost geek that I recognise the ghost from the app. Um, so I, I re recreated it. Um, but it concerned me a little bit because somewhere out there is a mother who's had, whose uh, baby has sadly died. And suddenly her house and her address, her old address, I should say, um, are in the newspaper, and someone's saying, this baby is haunting my house and making my, my cats go crazy. And I was just horrified that this woman might read that and put two and two together, because sometimes when you move house, you know people have moved into your old house, and, and it had his full name and where he lived. And I was like, oh my God. So I, I contacted the newspaper, and I said, look, what you've done is really stupid. Um, and the woman didn't believe me, weirdly enough. Um, and so I got her to download the app, because it's a free app. And I said, right, take a photo, put that ghost in. And she's like, oh my god, you're right. Well, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then she, she did a story on how it was, it was a fake. And the guy's son, uh, the guy who had submitted this photo, his son came forward and said, yeah, I, I faked it. Sorry, Dad. Um, so I, I've caused a few arguments by it, probably. Um, but I'm not sorry. Um, because I, it just horrified me that this mother might hear about her dead baby haunting someone. And, you know, it's, it's people who don't believe in ghosts, it's like, well, that's just stupid. But actually, I think that's quite terrifying, that the idea that your, your dead baby isn't at rest. Um, and that moves me on to this story here. This is a lady called Holly Taylor. Um, she's a single mum, that's, that's her daughter there. She lives in a flat on her own, and she had some really weird stuff going on. I mean, it was, it was really weird stuff. Like, I wouldn't have an automatic answer for what she was witnessing. Um, cupboard doors were opening on their own. Um, bit like out of, um, um, is it Sixth Sense? I see dead people. You know, where they're in the kitchen and all the cupboards open. It was a bit like that, but not quite so intense. It wouldn't be like she'd turn around and go back and it was done. She would come in from work and the cupboards would be open. There would be piles of plates on the worktop. Um, random cold spots in the house and the baby would cry. But I mean, babies do that, but you know, all that added together made her believe that she had a ghost in her house. And so she mentioned it to her landlord um, and somebody who was on work experience in the landlord's office told somebody they knew who worked for the local newspaper and they ran this big story, um, it was like front page um, on her. She got doorstepped by a journalist um, so she got home and there was a, a journalist there and he was like, I heard that you've got a ghost, I want to know more. Um, and she didn't really know what to do, so she told him everything. 
and they ran this front page story on her, and um, she became like, the laughing stock of the local area. And then these guys came along. Um, this is a local. <laughs> this is a local ghost hunting group. This is the group photo from their website. These are the people that. These people think that this is what you want to see. You know, them looking menacing when you're having strange experiences and you're scared. That. That's not. I mean, they're probably very lovely people, but if, if I went on their website and saw that, I'd be a bit scared. Um, I wouldn't want them to come into my house and try and work out what was going on. Um, they went in and there was subsequent um, press coverage um, that they had exercised this ghost. And you can see, you can sort of see up here an orb, an orb photo, that's their evidence. And you can see down here kind of all the equipment they were using to detect the ghosts. They told um, the mother and the newspaper that they detected a negative entity a man who used to molest children who had been drowned by the locals in the nearby pond. Um, that was what they said was haunting her child's bedroom. So that was nice. Um, and the problem, um, she actually, um, she kind of was really distressed because everyone was bothering her locally. They're calling her the ghost lady and, you know, just making fun of her, the podcast woman. And, and some skeptical people online were kind of mocking her and making fun of her and she was really distressed by it. So I, I contacted her via Facebook. I'm not friends with her, I just found her, which sounds really stalkerish, but no. Um, and I messaged her and said, look, you know, what's happening? Are you okay? And sadly, the, um, the stuff had continued to happen. So the, the baby continued to cry. There were cold spots, things were moving around and she was really distressed. She was like, um, the exorcism didn't work. This guy, this ghost is back in my house. And I was like, well, actually, no, it's probably, you know, tried to do some logical explanations and said it could be that the cupboards are hanging incorrectly, um, the cold spots could just be a problem with the heating system, maybe there's a draft in the window, but she wasn't having any of it because these guys had gone in and done the exorcism. Everything had stopped for a little bit um, and then it started again and now she was convinced that it was a ghost, it was this child molester that had been drowned and that, that was really damaging because then she was living in fear. So not only was she living in fear, she was also being ridiculed by her neighbours. Um, I did lose contact with her, so I don't know what's happened in that case. Um, but I thought that was quite horrific. Um, and then we get onto this one, and this is the one that kind of um, this angers me the most because it's happening right now. Um, you saw this lady earlier on in my slideshow. Um, her name is Erica Gregory. Um, she's part of the paranormal team in the UK, and um, they often go to Saddleworth um, more. Um, and they use dictaphones and seances and, and things like that and they speak to the ghost of um, Keith Bennett um, who was obviously uh, murdered by Mario Hindley and Ian Brady and they are convinced, absolutely convinced that they have communicated with Keith and they're trying to find his body using their, their psychic abilities and it, it's kind of a bit ugh, because you know it's quite a sensitive subject but, you know, it would be maybe okay if they were just doing that, but they're not. They're also yeah, communicating with Ian Brady in prison with their evidence. And he is writing to them and giving them more clues. And then they're using that in their seances to find more and more. Um, this is a photo of Erica with a spade that they found. Um, a spade that she thinks is linked to Keith's murder. And they, they were told by ghosts. And um, so she went to the press with it and kind of 
kind of exposed how they, they knew where he was buried and they were going to find out where he was buried. And But she didn't go to the police with it, which was really, really weird, because you'd think if you thought you'd found something in a cold case, you'd go to the police with it. And actually, that's what most psychics do, they go to the police. The police have to take their information and they give them like a ticket, but you know, it doesn't mean they're helping, but you get people like Joey Power, uh, the, the Liverpool psychic, saying, I've helped the police, here's my evidence. Um, but no, these guys didn't do that. They they kept the spade and they went to the press. And then with the recordings of <coughs> what they claim is the voice of Keith Bennett's ghost, they went to Alan Bennett, which is Keith's older brother, who had just lost his mum at the beginning of, I think it was last year, maybe, that she passed away. Um, this isn't the first time he's had to deal with people like this. Um, and so he's used to it. But he told them that he wasn't interested. Um, I've actually got a quote from him here. They know my thoughts on their findings, and when they realised finally that I could not take them seriously, they got very angry to the point of being abusive. I am and will continue to be offended and angered by these people. Um, so this is a guy whose brother is still missing, obviously presumed dead, probably dead, um, and these people believe they've spoken to his brother's ghost, they know where his brother's body is, they're going to find it. And when he said he wasn't interested, they, uh, they got abusive with him. Um, and they continued to go up to Saddleworth more. And when I actually wrote the criticism of what they were doing, um, they also got quite abusive with me too. Um, and I emailed Alan to say, look, I'm really sorry I have to deal with these people. And he's like, you know, I'm going to have to deal with these people for the rest of my life. Um, and, and this, sadly, is, isn't like one-off case. This happens all the time. For example, Madeleine McCann, we had um, Derek Cora in the press last year say, Madeleine McCann's dead, she's going to be reincarnated as a, as a child. Um, and also the uh, ghost hunting team in Wiltshire, where I come from, claimed that they spoke to Madeleine McCann via Ouija board. Um, that was really awkward. To I was actually in the room whilst they told me that, and I was like, okay. Um, how, how she responds to that? You've spoken to a dead child, still missing Ouija board. And, and the problem is, and it's really easy to hate these people um, for what they're doing and to, to absolutely just want to, to tear them to pieces on, your, on my blog and, and things like that, but they actually think that they're helping. They, they really believe in their abilities. They believe that what they're saying and what they're doing is true. Um, and they think that by going out there and helping and doing what they're doing is helping the cause. And they genuinely believe that they're speaking Bennett's ghost, and you can go on their website. I didn't include them on my slides, but you can go on their website and you can hear the conversations that they've had with what they believe is the ghost of Keith Bennett. And um, and as I said, they're communicating with Ian Brady and Joe. And I just imagine that he's getting the biggest kick out of this. Um, these people out of Saddleworth more with their dowers and rats. Um, and and that's kind of like the pinnacle. That's the the, the most harm that I've seen done by ghost hunters. Um, I think that's a really, really sad case. But not all is as bleak as I make it out to be. Because there is great work being done, and there's great work that can be done um, within paranormal communities. Um, lots of people who don't believe in ghosts um, often think that that's it, just don't worry about it, just let people believe what they want to believe. I think those slides before kind of showed that you can't really do that because people come to harm through believing in ghosts and, and believe they can talk to ghosts. <coughs> And um, these are just some organisations and some groups that are doing great work in communicating with the public about paranormal things. So, got the James Randi Education Foundation um, over there, uh, the great uh, 
uh, the Amazing Randy, um, a great organisation that does some outreach work in the US and also in other countries too. Um, you've got the Skeptic Magazine um, in the UK, um, CSI um, in the US, they also do some great, great work. And this is a website that I highly recommend, Doubtful News, run by a lady called Sharon Hill in the US. And they basically scan the news every day and they pick out paranormal um, stories and they, and they look and examine them in a rational way. Um, and then we've got, there's an organisation up there, ASAP. Uh, they are the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena. And I, I belong to ASAP um, just as a member. And they also do great work. They're an education charity. They hold um, seminars and training sessions and uh, they also do um, annual conferences. But one of the really good things that they do is ethical training. So when people want to become a ghost hunter, ASAP will train them how to do ethical investigations, which means that um, they get taught not to work with people who are vulnerable. So people who, um, adults who are vulnerable, maybe through mental health or or um, other read, not to work with children and also um, not to work with those who have actually just you know, lost somebody or in tragic cases like the King's Bennett case. And, and this, is a, this is the problem um, with ghost hunting, is that it, it kind of, it's something that's inspired like from most haunted, like my ghost hunting was all those years ago when I was 18. I would go out into locations and look for ghosts because it's what I wanted to believe, it's what I wanted to do. Um, but I never stopped to think about the people that it would impact. So the location owners, the people that work there, uh, the families of the supposed ghosts and things like that. Um, and ASAP, they take these ghost hunters and they say to them, look, why not do it, but think about what you're doing. And you normally find that when people uh, have explained to them what an impact, what impact their behavior can have on people, they, they tend to stop um, or they tend to change and work with the code of ethics. Um, so that's something quite new that's happening. And they're also doing, um, they've just announced um, this affiliation scheme they're doing with the government, um, so they can be they can go through training with ASAP, and ASAP is now a recognised um, education inst educational institute, and you can have training with ASAP, and you can work to their guidelines as a paranormal researcher, um, and it just ensures that you are you are harming people or locations that you visit. Um, so really, I kind of want to end my talk on that high. I've kind of finished a bit earlier than I normally would, so I've probably got time for some questions if anybody has some. Um, so I didn't want to leave it with all the doom and gloom, like look at people digging up people's dead bodies and communicating with them. And actually, <laughs> digging up dead bodies has happened. Um, you've probably heard of the, the Highgate Cemetery vampires, um, where the people go in and dig up the skeletons and stake them, thinking they're vampires. That was the first case where somebody actually got arrested for trespassing whilst ghost hunting. His name's David Farrell and he's an absolutely lovely bloke. He was very misguided. Um, he didn't know they were doing the staking thing. Uh, and then they all ran away and he got left behind and he's like, I'm just hunting for ghosts. Honest. This has nothing to do with me. It's a coincidence. Um, but but yes, yeah, so that's that's the kind of high note. Although it's weird and scary sometimes scary and dangerous and unethical and just kind of outrageous and people are dying in the US by being shot and oh my god this is terrible actually there's so much work that can be done and is being done to kind of get people to think rationally about what they're doing and so the next time someone says they believe in ghosts maybe you know just ask them why and they might have a good story and then you can just kind of go well actually just go and look at these websites and, and kind of talk to them like that but um Thank you very much for being a great audience. Now, if anybody has any questions, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
there's not a real, I don't think there's a crossover with dowsers and ghost hunters. Um, so I've never worked with dowsers, but that's why we, we had them to kind of point it in the right direction. You normally find with a dowser was they would take you off there, and you go over there, and all, everything else will follow you over the, the thermometer and the, and the dictaphone. Um, but that, that's why we would use them. Yes? Uh, you mentioned that the television program was most haunted, and there are, there are many others all over the world, presumably. Um, do you think that the, the television companies are just cynically um, are going along with these guys uh, just to get money and viewing figures up? Totally, totally. And, and I think they use the same concepts time and time again because it produces the effects they want. They're you know, screaming, not being able to see what's happening. And I remember being approached by um, television producers once. They were looking, they were going to do this show where they would bring American tourists over to the UK and lock them in a haunted British building for the night. And they wanted a ghost hunter, like a believer investigator, and they wanted a skeptic um, to go in with them. And I was like, yeah, well, that, that sounds interesting, but I have a few problems with the way you're going to film it. You know, why, why are you doing it in night vision? And, and you're just going to expose them um, to this information and throw them in. They're, they're just going to confirm what you've told them because, you know, you've kind of given them the, the information. They're like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well then, yeah, okay, I don't want to be in So they know what they're doing, I think. to try. <laughs> 
And, I mean, you look at the Sally Morgan thing, uh, where she was kind of exposed, uh, people were suggesting that she had an earpiece and stuff. If you went onto the, her Facebook page after that had been in the papers and stuff, you would, just ha you would see all the people that believe her who go to her show say, don't worry, Sally, I still believe in you. And when Derek Okora was exposed with the Creed Cave for Derek Baker thing, um, people were like, oh, you just had to do it to live up to the expectations of the television programme. Um, and the psychic Colin Fry, and th this is the best, I wish I had been there, he, he was in a seance and they tied him to the, the chair and the odd thing was that he asked if he could take his shoes off and they're like, yeah, that, that's fine. So they tied him to the chair um, and then it's like one of those old-fashioned seances where things float around the table and you can see it because it's glowing in the dark. Somebody switched on the light and he was there holding a trumpet. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap. And, but people still rationalise that away. They're like, oh, he was just living up to expectations. Oh, he was just doing it because the spirit guide had possessed him. Um, and it's like, no, he took his shoes off so you wouldn't hear him getting out the chair. And then he held it up and floated it around. And used like, sleight of hand to get out of the handcuffs. But that's the more rational thing, but people so badly want to believe that they just rationalise it away. And at, when Derek Cora was exposed to cheating, I kind of rationalised, like, no, he probably, probably just was doing that so that they would get the effects they wanted, but then, you know, I realised actually that was bollocks. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can understand how they do it. Yes? Is there anything that's uh, a case that you looked at in detail and not been able to explain that's been bugging you that you can tell us about? Seriously. And, and there are questions about if the Ghostbusters were real, would that be unethical? I'm not so sure I can. 
assessing sort of taking everything the same journey that you've been on from being a believer to, to being a skeptic? Um, my mum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel kind of cool about that. But no, she, when I kind of went on the journey, she kind of was like, oh, okay. And she kind of went on it too. Um, I have had people, I've blogged for, since I started kind of doubting my beliefs, I've blogged since then and worked with today. And there are people who followed my blog from the very beginning. And some of them say, you made me see sense with X, Y, and Z. Um, so I don't know if anybody has gone from being a believer to a non-believer because of me. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if that's an effect I've had. But I know that some people read what I write um, about what I've experienced and, and they kind of apply it to themselves. Um, at the end of the day, when I, when I do a case, I'm just putting my kind of opinions across. And if they take anything from that, that's great. If they don't, then, you know, it doesn't bother me really that much. Any more questions? Um, you said that um, people want to believe because it, you know, they don't want to think it's their <coughs> So have you ever met an atheist who goes to believe it? Yes, actually. Um, yeah, I have. Um, there are some people that believe that, I don't know, it's weird. When, when people think of ghosts, they think that it must be a dead person who still exists in the spirit form in an afterlife. <coughs> Some people believe that that spirit can then cross over to the other side, which is like heaven or whatever. Um, but then there are some people who believe that ghosts are just like um, the leftover essence of a human. So they're not necessarily able to interact with stuff, but that a lot of people believe that when the body dies, the spirit still lives on, maybe not in a spirit kind of, you know, heavenly kind of sense. But I, yeah, I have met some people who don't believe in God or anything like that and, and believe that the live on in some energy form. Yeah, it's, it's very weird when you really get into it. And I've had a lot of people at Skeptics in the Pub Talks that I do around the country telling me, don't you think that it's something to do with um, like quantum tunneling and things like that? And I'm like, I'm really not sure, to be honest. <laughs> it's a little bit complex, but people kind of rationalise it in their own way, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't think um, not believing in, in a heaven kind of makes you immune from believing in, in ghosts and things. And in fact, I...